Okay, so uh, Happy New Year, everybody. God bless you. Uh, this is part two of the mission. We started this last week, and uh, we're talking about the purpose of this series is to talk about the various aspects, the various uh, dimensions, the various uh, facets of the ministry or the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's far too complex to, to, to just uh, be shared in one sermon or even in, in one statement or even in one paragraph. The, 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 the mission of Christ is so glorious and so complex uh, that it's going to require several meetings for us. Last week, uh, I said and began this series with the, the mission statement that came from the lips of Jesus himself. Uh, which was that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I brought out how that Jesus loved to refer to himself uh, 92 times, 94 times, I believe it is, somewhere in the, in the New Testament, that Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. He loved being a man. It's not like, it's not like when he left heaven, he had to have his arm twisted to become one of us. No, he delights and desires to, to be joined to our humanity. The Bible says he's not ashamed to call us brethren. And, and so we brought out that his, his mission statement was to seek and to save the lost. This morning, I want to go in a slightly different direction, talking about not the Son of Man, but the Son of God. And, and, and the glory is that he is the God-man. He is very God and he is very man. And we're going to look at uh, one of the mission statements that deals with the reason why the Son of God has come. And uh, a couple of you I haven't seen, you know, for Christmas, so let me wish you a Merry Christmas. Just turn to somebody and say Merry Christmas. It's all right. I got a Christmas present this morning. That's, that's cool, you know. I was thinking about the word Merry. I mean, come on. When is the last time you used the word Merry in a sentence? You know, uh, it's like, oh yeah, me and the kids, we went to the movies last night and we had a merry old time. No, you say, I had a great time, and I had a good time, you know? Or like, I got an email from somebody, and it was merry news, you know? No, it's not a word that we often use anymore, and it's usually, you know, associated with, with Christmas. And, and I was thinking about that word merry, and uh, I was thinking about uh, one of the old, um, one of the old uh, Christmas hymns, or Christmas carols, whatever you prefer to call them, uh, in which it has the word uh, Mary in the title. Now, you might be thinking about that for a minute. Uh, but, but surprisingly, maybe not so surprisingly, but maybe surprisingly, in this song that's talking about joy and the Savior and the virgin birth and the coming of Christ, interestingly, there are two dishonorable, if you will, dishonorable mentions of Satan in this Christmas carol. You know? See, at, at first glance, you might say, well, what is talking about or singing about Satan have to do with the coming of Jesus. But I want you to know it has everything to do with it. The, the song, if it, anybody guess what, what I'm talking about? God rest ye merry gentlemen. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when, when I, just the title itself, God rest ye merry gentlemen, to me conjures up thoughts of, of, uh, of Charles Dickens, you know, merry old England, you know, jolly old England, you know. And, and I, I could just, maybe somebody who wrote that came from, from, uh, uh, from London, from England. And, and I just want you to think about that for a minute. This idea of, of Mary in relationship to the announcement 
And, and, and here's the verse. Let, let me share the verse with you. And, and, and this is it. Uh, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Oh, glad tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, comfort and joy. You know, I mean, what a line that was dropped in the midst of this Christmas hymn that we have been saved from Satan's power. That, that, that's the very mission I want to talk to you about this morning. That the Son of God has come to save us from... In fact, that's not the only time, but again, the, the writer of this hymn mentions that in relationship to this, and it's one of the other verses, and it's this, to free all those who trust in Him from Satan's power and might. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, comfort and joy. It should bring us great rejoicing to know that the tyrannical reign of Satan has been overthrown. He's been defeated. You know, ding dong, the witch is dead. You know, I I, I say that a lot because in my house, two of my uh, youngest grandkids love, uh, in in, uh, Landon's own words, the, the Lizard of Oz. You know, he calls it the Lizard of Oz. And, 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 and that great, 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 listen, all the munchkins, right, are now set free because the wicked old witch, the, the wicked prince of darkness has been defeated. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. During uh, Christmas uh, week, uh, my son Will actually, who, who was here for Christmas Eve and sang a Christmas hymn that he had actually written, uh, but he brought up on two occasions. So, so this is something, you know, you know how like, my son, Will, hasn't been living at home since he went away to college. So I warn you, parents, when your children go away to college, it might be the last time they're boarding with you, you know? So, so I mean, it's been a number of years since, since he went away to college and he got married and he settled in Virginia. And, 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 and right. so, so coming home for Christmas, right, uh, probably stirred up some old memories of Will. And so Will brings up, not once, but on two occasions, once when Kevin and I and, and his wife and I were alone together, he brings it up. And then when all the family was together, he brought it up again. And he said to me, he said in front of everybody, he said, hey, Dad, do you remember what you used to say to me when you asked me to do something and I didn't do it fast enough? You remember what you used to say to me? Of course I remember what I used to say to him. I used to say to him, because, listen, I only asked my kids to do something once. You know, whether you agree with that kind of parroting skill or not, I don't know. But I always used to say, if, if he didn't move fast enough, depending upon what the mission was, right? Anthony, what would I say? Forget it. I'll do it myself. Okay. Now, I, I, I got to tell you, it's just, just, just thinking about that, I thought about God the Father. I thought about because the mission is so, is so serious and, and there's so much at stake, and because the, the battle is so fierce that, that, that God would not leave this to anyone else, that he would do it himself. You remember last week I said that before time began, that, that in the council of, of the Trinity, that the Lord spoke the, the words that were echoed in Isaiah chapter 6, who shall I send and who shall go for us? And the Lord Jesus said, here am I, send, send me. I'll, I'll do it myself, I believe is the attitude that... Uh, comes through us. It's a theme that is repeated uh, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel, the prophet Isaiah, bring up this issue uh, time and time again. Uh, for instance, the Lord says that, that I sought for a man, 
to stand in the gap, okay? There's, there's a wall that's been broken. The, the hedge has been broken. I sought for a man to stand in the gap and to make up the hedge. And God says, but he was appalled because he found no one. He found no one to intervene. He found no one to intercede. And, and, and here, 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 here's the truth, that from Adam all the way down, like dominoes, every man has fallen. Even the great heroes of the Bible. You know, you, you think about some of the great heroes of the Bible. The three men who are mentioned most in the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, and David, those three men are mentioned the most. And Satan could have a railing accusation against every single one of them and point out the flaws and the faults and the blemishes of each of those great heroes of faith because they were just men. And they were men who could not withstand temptation and men who could not withstand the powers of darkness. So God sought for himself a champion. God sought for himself someone who would come, who would be able to defeat and to destroy the very works of the wicked one. So God said, I got to do this myself. I want you to think about this verse that we're going to look at. We're going to begin. First, I'm going to look at the verse that is the mission statement that John the Apostle uses to describe the the purpose of his coming. And then we're going to look at it in its context. So first, the verse by itself, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared, says John, was excuse me, to destroy the works of the devil. The reason for this cause, another translation says, was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. This is why Jesus Christ has come. His mission was to destroy the works of the devil. Now let's look at it in its context, because I believe that the context will give us a key as to what are the works of the devil. Now, they are very, we know Jesus said that he was a thief and a liar and a murderer from the beginning, that he's come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And all of that are ramifications of what I believe that John kind of summarizes and gives us concisely in just these few verses. So he says this, 1 John 3, verse 5. You know that he, Jesus, appeared to take away sins. Uh, Right there, we could just stop and just have a, have a celebration that Jesus has come to take away sins. Behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. And in him is no sin. The reason why he's qualified, the reason why he can stand toe-to-toe with the devil is because in him there is no sin. So John says this in verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he... Jesus is righteous. And whoever makes a practice of sinning, that is, who continually lives in sin, is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The word beginning is important there. I'll just just make a mental note of that. The beginning, in the beginning, right? The reason, he is the originator of sin. The reason the Son of God appeared, and here's the context, was to destroy the works of the devil. This is exciting. This is this is. Liberty bells ringing. This is, this is the, the year of jubilee. This is the prison doors being flung open. This is ding dong, the witch is dead. This is the reason for rejoicing that the powers of darkness, the tyrannical enemy of God and of man has been overthrown. The one who has caused such sorrow and such, and such pain in the human family has been defeated. 
It says that God himself has come to do this. He didn't come, listen, he didn't come to nullify. He didn't come to neutralize. He didn't come to limit. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy sin and to make an end of sin. John, I believe, had in mind, when he wrote this summing up of the mission of Jesus, I believe that John had in mind the the very first and the very oldest prophecy that goes back to the beginning and the very first messianic promise and prophecy that was spoken to the human family and also to Satan himself. And we're going to look at that in its context in in just a minute or two. But I, I just want you to understand something, that it is a portrait. This verse is, is, a, is kind of a, an explan, explanation or an exposition of this first messianic promise that, that there would be one who would come, who would be a champion, and who would champion God's cause first and foremost for God to vindicate his glory, to vindicate God's honor. You know, so many times when, whenever we talk, because it deals with us, we, we talk about how the coming of Jesus affects us. But I want you to know that even before his great sacrifice has brought salvation for us, he has come to vindicate his father, to demonstrate before an assembled universe of both spirits and men that he is just and the justifier of those that believe. It was Jehovah himself who delivered this first gospel message. And it was the in the audience of the, the whole human family, then in Adam and Eve, and in all that would be in Adam and Eve. And he spoke it in the audience of the serpent himself. And maybe what was so surprising to me is not just the content of the promise, but the timing of the promise. It was on the very verge of the, of the, of the crime that was committed, this treasonous act that was committed against him. It was in this very moment that the promise was given. Now, if, if that doesn't set a mood for the rest of the entire Bible and give us an explanation of the loving Savior and gracious nature of God, that, that, then I don't know what. That, 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 then you really need to have your eyes open because God is gracious and God is loving and nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Now let's look at the verse. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. But God has spoken a word of punishment that brings about for us, it brings about for us glad tidings of joy and comfort and, and rejoicing. Here's the verse, Genesis 3.15. I'm sure you probably already thought about this. This is what the Lord said to the serpent. I will put enmity, strife, conflict, between you and the woman and between your offspring, seed is a word that is sometimes used, but offspring probably is better understood, and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Your kingdom, God says, will suffer a blow from which you will never be able to recover. Yes, you will inflict a wound upon him, but his wound will only be to his heel. That is to the lower nature of the Son of God. That is his humanity. But he will recover from that wound and he will triumph and he will smash and he will crush the head of the serpent, the devil. While this message was directed directly 
to the devil, it must have been great. It must have been great comfort and great, great joy for Adam and Eve as they walked out of the garden with the hope that there would be one that would come from their offspring who would become the champion for, for the cause of God and for, the, and for their cause, for the human family, who would, who would right the wrong that was done, that the punishment that he so deserved because he's the originator of sin, he's the father of sin, and he introduced sin into the human family. So here's the question that I want to pose this morning. I want to, I want to ask this question. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what was Satan's design? What did he hope to accomplish by inflicting the human race with sin, by introducing sin into the human race? What was the hopes of, his, of, of accomplishing? And I want you to think about that for a minute. I, I, I think, you know, we, we could definitely say that he sought to expand the rebellion from the angelic order to the, to the, to the family, the human family. That he sought to... To, to, to wreak havoc upon, upon the human race, but also to get revenge against God, to hurt the heart of God. Because God had paid such, such interest and such attention and such loving affection upon the man and the woman that he had created. He had made them vice regents upon the earth, given them authority and dominion over all the works of his hands. God had invested so much in them, and so to mar the image of God... This, this sinister, this diabolical entity called Lucifer, Satan, so desired to spread the rebellion that it would hurt the holy heart of God. And in the process, sever us in our relationship from God. Bring about a divorcement. Bring about a separation from which we would never be able to recover. Now, if that was his intention, I want you to know right up front, that, that, that hidden in that verse, that, that God would crush the head of the serpent through the offspring, through the seed of the woman, is, is contained there. Now, I must admit, it's kind of cloaked and it's kind of coded, but, but the very message itself is, is the, first, the first seeds of the incarnation. And the incarnation itself was a blow to the, to the powers of darkness in and of itself that that God should become a man it never entered into Lucifer's mind it never entered into Satan's imagination that God himself would come that he would say I'll do this myself that he would be poured into the womb of a virgin and as a result of that become so close to the human family that he is now one of us. He is now bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. You can't get any closer than this. We have a relative who has a genealogy, a relative who is God, who is the God man, but who is very God. You can't get any closer than this, that to be joined to the Lord is to become one spirit with the Lord. And, and, and God just turned the tables over on the powers of darkness, the very incarnation was to ruin the very purposes that Satan had in mind of, of alienating us and separating us from the Creator who so loved us and lavished attention upon us. In C.S. Lewis's uh, book, uh, The Screwtape Letters, it's about uh, an older demon who was writing to a, an apprentice demon and giving him instructions about how to tempt and, and how to seduce the client. You know, And uh, in that, C.S. Lewis 
offers a suggestion. It's just a suggestion, but, but, but one that I, when I read this years ago, I said, you know, I think he's got something there. And the suggestion was this, that, that what precipitated the fall of Lucifer, okay, there was pride found in his heart and he wanted to be God, but, but, the, but the, the, the straw, if you will, that broke the camel's back in, in C.S. Lewis's opinion was, was this, that Lucifer looked at the creation he looked at this man and woman, this spirit being who was dwelling in mud, you know, and, and looked at it with such envy and jealousy. And, and, and so bitterness just erupted within his heart. And he sought to mar the image of God that was in man. Now, if, if, if that's so, and, and, and that's just a suggestion, if that's so, then what precipitated all of this and that followed was this jealousy of what God had in store for you and I. But Lucifer never imagined in his wildest, in, the, in, in his twisted intellect, he never imagined in his twisted wisdom that God himself would be poured into the womb of a virgin and become so close to us that he would be one of us. I, I love what Paul says. L- listen to this. He says, 1 Corinthians 2, 7, He says, but we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory, that is for our good before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have never crucified, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse has always perplexed me. Because I've read the commentaries. Every, every commentary I've ever gotten my hands on has, has always said that what Paul has in mind, when he's talking about the rulers of this age, he's talking about Herod and he's talking about Pilate and Caiaphas and the high priest and the elders. I don't think that's what he's talking about. In my opinion, I don't think that he's talking about, I think that he's talking about what he has often talked about, especially in Colossians and also in, in Ephesians, is principalities and powers and, and wicked spirits that are ruling in high places. I think that this is what Paul had in mind, that they would have never, they never imagined that the very death of Jesus brought about the very destruction of the powers of darkness. That it was through death that Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death that is the devil. I want you to think about this. That Jesus killed death itself through his own death. Remember that the cross... When we talk about the cross, the cross is, is foolishness to those who think that they're wise. And if there's anybody who thought that they were wise, it was Lucifer. The cross is foolishness to those who, 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 who are counting upon wisdom. It's, it's a stumbling block to the Jew. It's foolishness unto the Greeks, right? But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Why? Because it is, it is revealed in utter weakness. But Paul says in his, in his logic that if God were weak, then the weakness of God would be mightier than the strength of the creature. And God in weakness, for Jesus Christ was crucified in voluntary weakness, which became the undoing of the powers of darkness. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians. He tore he, he, he tears the veil for us and we, and we get this glimpse into the unseen world of spirits, okay? 
Here's what Paul says. God made you alive in with Christ. When he forgave you of all your sins, having canceled the the written code and its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having, and here it is, having disarmed powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Do you realize what Paul is saying here is that something was taking place in the invisible realm of the spirit world. Jesus was stripping Satan and the powers of darkness of the keys of hell and death. And he was stripping them of their usurping authority to now deceive and to, and to destroy and to kill. And he, was, and he was making a public display of them openly, embarrassing them before the assembled angels. This is what our Savior did. This is what the champion did for us. This is, listen, this is, this is way better than Jesse sending his boy on a mission. And then he winds up going into battle against the giant that he didn't plan. No, this is God sending his boy to a mission to bring down the, 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 the greatest foe that the, that the universe has ever known. And it was, it was through death that Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death and freed us so that now we no longer fear death that we could say like with the apostle Paul none of these things move me neither count on my life dear to myself I was reading about this uh, Wesleyan Methodist uh, missionary back in the 1800s it's a good thing sometimes to look at the lives of those who've gone before us and who can't fall because they're already gone into heaven and glory but but, you know, th- those are the best heroes, the dead ones. But, but I want you to think about this. Uh, he, his mission was to go to the indigenous people of the Fuji Islands. And uh, on the journey, it was reported, uh, Seth, you might take, take note of this. On the journey, he, he, he noted uh, that the captain said to him on more than one occasion, pleaded with him, said, said you, are, you are going to lose your life and the lives of those who are traveling with you if you intend to speak to these savage people. And you know what his response was? I love his response. He says, we died before we left home. We died before we left home. We were committed to this mission. We died before we left home. And can that not be said of Jesus, that he died before time began, that he, he was the lamb of God slain from before the foundation. Before he left the throne, he was committed to the death and the death would be of sin and of Satan and of the powers of darkness. I'll close with this story. Uh, in 1776, you know, for those of you who know a little bit about American history, you know exactly probably where I'm going. 70, 1776 was an important year. Uh, the winter was really hard. The uh, Continental Army uh, was suffering greatly, uh, not only physically, but morale was really down. They really needed a, a, um, uh, a tactical victory to encourage them. Uh, General uh, George Washington called his troops a small number in comparison to the British troops, 2,500 men, uh, called them to take three days' worth of supplies, fresh, uh, fresh flints for their muskets, and he, and he ordered that all men should, 
should take arms, including, listen, the musicians and the couriers. They were even to arm themselves and then, and then to quietly and then quickly at night march to the uh, Delaware River. They were going to cross the Delaware River. Their intention was to cross into Trenton and their surprise the British and to, and to break the momentum of the British and to drive them back. That, that, that was their intention. The uh, men, w- w- one of his names was, was Knox, probably the guy from whom you probably heard of Fort Knox, but, but he was the artillery uh, commander of, of the Continental Army. And uh, he, he, he said about this mission, he said it was, it was, it was nearly an, uh, how do you put it, an, an almost infinite difficulty, almost infinite difficulty. He described it. And you probably know the story. They crossed, they, they successfully routed the enemy, and, and as a result of that, it turned, uh, it turned the battle uh, on behalf of uh, the revolution. I want you to think about this in comparison for a moment. That took place, by the way, on Christmas Day, 1776. On the first Christmas Day, Morale was at an all-time low. Men and women sat in darkness, but they would see a great light. The men and women sat under the tyrannical reign of Lucifer, the iron fist of the enemy. No one stood toe-to-toe against him until that first Christmas day when God poured himself into the womb of a virgin. And there, there a a secret mission began to unfold. That secret mission in God joining to our humanity. And then in the fullness of time, Jesus going to the cross. This was not a mission of almost infinite difficulty. This was a mission of absolute infinite difficulty. The password for George Washington's Mission was this. There, there was a code. There was a, a word that they spoke amongst themselves. It was victory or death. But the code word for his great mission was victory through death. Because Jesus died. Listen, Jesus died before he ever left home. And the reason why Jesus died before he left home was that he might take us to his home. I want you to think about this. The victory has been won. But right now is not the time for celebration. There is a short window of opportunity in each of our lives for us to win the battles. The battle has always been, the battle has always been the Lord's. And he has enlisted us. He has called us to arms. He's called us to become a part of his mission. You see, while the, while, while, while the mission is, is absolutely accomplished from heaven's point of view. Jesus is even now, as the captain of our salvation, leading us, his troops, into setting free the captives, into bringing deliverance to those that are bound, into bringing salvation to the lost, in in declaring the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the mission that's at hand now. We'll have all eternity to celebrate. But right now, there's work to be done. There's a a cause to answer 
for each of us. So let us not grow weary in doing well, that we will reap if we do not faint. I believe with all my heart that this is the understanding that Paul had of his mission when he said that God had called him to deliver men from the power of Satan unto God, from, from, from darkness unto light. And that's the mission that we're to continue. There's a great verse. Let me just share it with you before I close. Jesus prayed this in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He says, in the same way, Father, that you gave me a mission to this world, I give them a mission in the world. I consecrate, he said, myself for their sake so that they'll be consecrated in their mission. Jesus said, I set myself apart for this purpose that they will be set apart for their mission. We have one who is ever living, making intercession for us so that we would succeed. God has called each and every one of us with various gifts and various abilities and various talents. But one of the things that we need so desperately is the unity of the body of Christ to come together, to work together, to fight together, to build and to battle together with one hand on a sword and another hand with a trowel, building and battling Because I tell you what, there is ground to take and there's ground to keep. And the ground that we have have won in this last year, in 2011, we are to fight to keep, but we are also to press forward and to gain new ground in 2012. And I believe that this is a a real uh, pivotal year for this ministry. I believe it's going to be an explosive year for us to see the works of God. Remember what Jesus came to accomplish, to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy sin, and to not only, listen, to make an end of sin, but listen, I, I, there's something in our hearts where we long for that day that's coming when, when there will be no more sin. When our deliverance, not only from the penalty, not only from the power, not only from the pleasure, but, but the very deliverance from the very presence of sin. This universe is not going to be the way that it is now. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness and sin will be no more and Satan will be no more. The sentence has already been passed, but it's awaiting execution. And I'm so glad to be a part of God's battle. And he's calling and enlisting us here. If you've never, if you've never made a commitment to Christ, if you've never if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, today is a great day to do that. Because Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. We were all lost until he finds us. He initiates it. He comes. He doesn't leave it up to us. He is found by those that did not seek him. That's what grace is all about. It's not only undeserved, it's unasked for. I didn't ask for this. He imposed his grace upon us, upon me. And he wants to do that for you this morning. And if you're here this morning and you've never received the grace of God, the favor of God, listen, he wants you to, he wants you to know that he loves you and that he wants your life to have purpose and meaning and that you would join him in this great mission. And for those of you that maybe just kind of, you're not so sure, you're kind of just on, on the fence and 
This is a year to get really committed. This is a year to get really dedicated to accomplishing the mission of God. And we'll talk more about that as the weeks go by as we continue the mission. But let's just pray right now. Father, I thank you this morning, O God, for all that you have in store for those that love you, that are called according to your purpose. It's a glorious purpose that you have for us. We, uh, we're just so grateful, Father, that you have made us partakers of the divine nature, that, that the one who has become one of us, one like us, for us, that we're so close to you right now, God, that we, we, we couldn't be any closer than, than the God-man Christ Jesus, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, that I really do have a relative who is very God himself in the person of Jesus. And I thank you so much, Father, that you have a plan for this house, for the different expressions of this house to, through collision and through the green room and through living word, that you have a plan and a purpose to accelerate the momentum that we should see the kingdom of God come in power and in demonstration. This is a time, this is a time for us to shout with the voice of triumph. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together and get excited.